Welcome to the first episode of the Why We Fear the Dark podcast. We are your hosts. Yeah, this is Inky. This is Gwynny. And we've got a couple of stories to tell today, but Gwynny's going to go first. Of course, I lost the die roll. Yeah. So now you got to tell me, what did you pick out for this week's podcast? So this is a story that I've personally liked. Um, it's called the Hinterkaifeck Murders. We have heard of this before, and I'm pretty sure most of you who are fans of murder mysteries or true crime mm-hmm. probably heard of it since it is a rather famous case. It's well known, yeah. However, I'd figure it's something that I like and I would like to share with you guys. So I guess we can start from the beginning. The Hinterkaifeck was a small farmstead somewhere between um, the Bavarian towns of Ingolstadt and Schrobenhausen. Now you may have noticed that I am not German, so I will probably butcher a lot of these names. Look, we're a couple little Mexican girls who live in South <laughs> Texas. It's going to be bad. Don't don't add us. Yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Anyways, the victims were the Grubers. Um, there was Andreas Gruber. Let me look over my notes real quick because <laughs> I am a professional of anything. Yeah, she's got... All right, let me set the scene for you guys. She's got a notebook. It's a cute unicorn notebook with a unicorn pen. That she's written all her notes Actually, in. Actually, dolphins. Whatever. They look like unicorns. And she's even got notes on her phone. Like, she's wilding out over here. I'm proud of her. Look, I'm just trying to be professional she's here. She's a consummate storyteller. So, the Gruber family were the victims. You have Andreas Gruber, which was the patriarch and father of the family. You have Kazilia. Pardon me if I butchered it. Um, Andreas' uh, wife. Victoria, their daughter. Um, Kazilia Jr., or, you know, the granddaughter, and uh, Yosef. Now, there's a bit of controversy with Yosef, but we'll get to that. The Grubers basically were this isolated farmstead household kind of family. Mm-hmm. Um, they kept to themselves, which post-World War One Germany was, I don't know if any of you know this, kind of a shithole. Like, there wasn't a whole <laughs> lot of money, a lot of poor people, you know, there was a lot of suffering and strife. And so the Grubers were pretty okay. They were financially okay, but they were also known for being really reclusive and as well very, very frugal. And it's because of the their reclusive ways that there was a lot of rumors kind of circulating about them. Some of them, of course, being that Andreas was kind of an asshole, for lack of a better word. He used to beat his wife and other rumors that we'll kind of touch back on just because it's kind of pertinent to the case. Okay. But yeah, uh, just kind of an example of some of the rumors that would go around. So, Kazilia and Andreas had a second child. It was a boy. It only lived to be two years old before it died. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> some of the... I can't think of the word. What, what, are, you, what, are, you, what are you thinking of? Like when you talk to a cop, you know, like... An investigator? No, when... Anyways, so the neighboring farm... Oh, 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 some of the the witnesses. Yeah, one of the witnesses, or not witnesses because they didn't witness any crime, but... Just the the people around town. um, Some of the commentary made um, by Lawrence Schlittenbauer, who knew the family since birth, so, you know, it's one of those kind of things, um, made his his statement, there we go. Oh, a statement, okay. To the police was that the children... Or the, now, these are his words. This is the quote, so if there's any grammatical errors, 
Don't at me. (laughs) The children probably died due to lack of care and not being fed enough. I myself and also my father had often experienced hearing the children locked in the cellar for days as we passed by the farm. I'll tell you frankly, the people were not good. I've never heard that before. That's wild. So, as you can see, there's a lot of rumors going around. However, these rumors kind of have a little bit of merit because it sounds like Andreas was kind of a dick. Yeah. Like, they're, they they always rumored that his wife was beaten and all this other stuff. And there's evidence to support that, yeah, he kind of did beat his well, I mean, wife. There's there's always a little bit of truth in, in gossip, right? So, they... People must have seen something for them to be like, yeah, that Andreas guy was an asshole. Yeah. Getting back to, I guess, the main part of this story is that Mm -hmm. I'm giving you the pertinent background information. So, like, for example, Victoria was married to one Carl. Now, the thing about this is that they got kind of a divorce because or they split up because of the father. Once again, a total douche. He, he he really just kind of intervened a lot with what was going on. And so Carl decides to leave and gets drafted for World War One. You know. Fair enough. That's one way to get out of Dodge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He is reported dead in action. And afterwards, for whatever reason, Andreas refuses to allow Victoria to remarry. Maybe maybe he was holding out hope for his son in law. Well here's the thing. Dude gets arrested twice for incestual relationships with his daughter. With the same woman that he's, like, not letting people marry? Exactly. Wait, how do you get arrested? Like... So, apparently, back in the 1920s, it was some sort of moral... Yeah, there's, like... Wait, what do you mean it was a moral thing? Like, just to be arrested and be like, no, you're fine now. No, 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 like... You would get arrested for incestuous acts. That's well, I mean, I hope you would get arrested for it now, too. Jesus Christ. Well, I mean... <laughs> it It is 2020. The knots are... I mean, not the knots. The 20s are back. So who knows? <laughs> All of this is kind of important, and it kind of comes back to some... So the thing about this case is that it's not so much the murder that's interesting. It's the suspects, in my opinion. Yeah, the dynamics. The family is found dead four days after the murder. Leading up to the murder, however, um, Andreas reported seeing footsteps in the snow leading to their barn. Ooh. But no footsteps leaving. Somebody was holding up in that barn. The maid hears footsteps in the attic. And so she quits. She's she's out of there. She said, peace, I'm out. <laughs> like <laughs> fucking I'm not gonna say she, what I wanna she, say, but like <laughs> fuck now I have to because you're gonna think it's bad. But like it's basically stealing from another podcast. But she later dazed out of there. She was like, "Bye, bitch." Yeah, she was like, "Bye, Felicia. This is too fucking creepy." <laughs> oh, shit, you bring it back to night. Bye, Felicia. You know, Andreas decides to investigate and doesn't notice anything out of the ordinary. Right. He does, however, find a newspaper from Munich. They weren't subscribed to that newspaper. Where the fuck did this come from? Exactly. It's like, what the fuck is going on here? First, I see. I mean, had it been me, had it been me, and I saw footsteps in the snow leading to my house, I'd have been like, all right, the fuck is going on here? I think it's time to go on a vacation, y'all. Yeah, like, I would have been like, all right, kids, you know what? I know I've been kind of a dick, but let's take us out to Disneyland, you know? (laughs) Disneyland! I love Disneyland. But no, instead, he's very frugal. They're real 
for lack of a better word, they were cheapskates. Well, maybe he also thought that he was like, I've lived out here my whole life and ain't nobody going to scare me from my house. Like Maybe it, he figured he could take whoever it was. It definitely could be one of those situations. And mind you, I'm cutting out a lot of information just for the lack of brevity. Yeah, we probably should have prefaced this, but if this is something that interests you, like even if you've never heard of it and you want more yeah, do some research because we just we're just telling each other stories. Not just that. Like we're here to entertain. Like I'm trying to make a giggle out of something that probably shouldn't be laughed at. <laughs> we're trying to entertain. Okay. This happens or whatever. They're able to get a new maid. Cecilia Jr. doesn't report to school for four days. Oof. And so people start to get suspicious of something going on. Right. Especially considering that this family doesn't have the best reputation. This gentleman who, his name is Albert Hoffner, uh, had gone to repair an engine for the family. Mm-hmm. Now, I believe it was for a food chopper. I don't remember exactly. He goes to investigate the situation and... Wait, so he's so he's coming to repair... He had already agreed to come repair something. He's coming to repair. Nobody answers the door? Yeah. Okay, so he's like, all right, somebody's got to be home. Yeah, and I also forgot to mention that the neighbors sent um, their kids to go check because, like I said, Cecilia had not reported to school for several days without an excuse. So so several people at this point had come by the house. Yes, okay. and so when they finally decide to investigate, they find the bodies. Ooh. Now, the thing about the bodies, though, is that they were gruesomely killed. Yeah. Um. And the thing is, the investigation was kind of messed up. Um, a lot of people didn't really try. Like, the the uh, initial investigator, if I'm not mistaken, was... It's like the 1920s, right? Like, they walked in, they're like, yep, those are some dead people. Something happened here, but they, it's not like they could do forensics or anything. Yeah, his name was uh, Georg Reingruber. Georg Reingruber. Look, I could be butchering that. It could actually be like, you know, I don't know. Anyways, now that I'm completely look like an ass. No, no, no. I'm not laughing at your pronunciation. I'm laughing at the dude's name. Okay. So anyways, him and his colleagues from the Munich uh, police department. Oh my God, his rest his soul. Literally shut up. And did the whole, like, well, yeah, that's a dead body. And then left. <laughs> Wee! Anyways, um, so he goes back and basically conducts the rest of the investigation via phone and telegraph. So who is he phoning until his superiors? Like, yeah, I found bodies and uh, yep, that's it. Well, I mean, I think it's basically like, oh, it's just some farmers. We don't really care. And then like the, the, uh, the yeah. you also have to remember this little farmstead place had a population of 75. So everybody knew every, everybody. Yeah. And of course, the rumors circulating about the family didn't paint a good light so they were probably like okay somebody just had a grudge against these people or maybe the dad just went postal yeah however the dad's head was caved in so if he committed suicide after (laughs) killing everyone can i just say that is the most metal way to go (laughs) he was like listen i'm gonna fucking kill myself but i'm gonna do it in such a goddamn manly way there's a lot of inconsistencies with the investigation and i really won't get into them because it's like a bunch of twists and turns. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Getting back to the family rumors, Victoria had a second child named Yosef, and I did mention that I would get back to this. Mm-hmm. Well. Call back. Yeah. There's a lot of kind of speculation as to who 
the father of the child is. Oh, yeah, because her dad was being a creepy creep. Her father had been arrested twice for incest with her. Oof. And so on one of those, the father had been arrested was in 1919, which is when little Yosef was born. Mm. So there's this kind of back and forth between them and a Lawrence Schlittenbauer. Schlittenbauer. Mr. Schlittenbauer. Yes, Mr. Schlittenbauer. Let's just Um, call him Lawrence. (laughs) Yeah, let's just call him Lawrence of Arabia. He basically had a thing with Victoria for a while. Mm -hmm. And after Andreas didn't let them marry, as you would imagine, he was probably a little bitter. Yeah. So everyone in the Gruber family was saying that it was his child. Like other people, surviving Gruber families were like this. this Well, no, no, no. At the time. Oh, at the time they were claiming it was his. Yeah, at the time they were saying that little Yosef was his. Okay. When Andreas was taken to jail, Lauren said that he was given $600 by Victoria pleading that he claimed paternity of the child so that they would release the father. Whoa, I didn't know that. So, like I said, there was a lot of rumors around this family. Yeah. But, you know, where there's smoke, there's usually fire. What? I didn't know that part. Like, I knew the case, but that's new to me. What the fuck? One thing they were able to get out of this was the way they were killed. Yeah. They were killed one by one. It wasn't like this group effort. They all just died, you know, in one go. No. They were all eventually lured to where the cattle were. Somehow or another, they were lured in that direction and their heads were caved in by a pickaxe. Oh, by the sharp side? Yes. Well, at least Andreas and uh, uh, Cassilia's for sure. So the parents. Yes. Um, Victoria's as well. Now, this is where it gets a little sad because Cassilia, the minor, their new maid, and Yosef were killed while in their sleep in the house. Oh. Once again, all the same way. Their heads were just completely eviscerated by a pickaxe. Oh. Now, here's where things get interesting. So, the investigation goes on. The dust settles, so to speak. Because the investigation didn't last very long. It really didn't. Like, they did a real shit job when it came to this investigation. Mm -hmm. Shortly after, like, the neighboring houses, which weren't that close, mind you. Like, the nearest house was half a kilometer away to a kilometer away, which is quite a distance. Yeah, they're, they're, it's farmland, right? You don't have neighbors, really. Exactly. So, they noticed that... Smoke was still coming out of the chimney. That the animals were well fed. When people would come around by the farm, they noticed that it was still clean and maintained. Huh. So whoever might have done the killing was probably living in their home. Oh, no. I don't like that. Just kill and leave. Don't stick around. Yeah. And so this is where it gets interesting for me. Okay. Now, if you'll recall... Victoria was married to Carl for some time. Mm-hmm. He was allegedly killed during the war. Mm-hmm. However, okay. a body was never recuperated. I mean, that's not that weird for the war, though. This is true. However, speculation was that, and as outlandish as this sounds, is that he survived, came back, and killed everyone. Why, though? What would be his motive? Well, they said the motive was, one, PTSD, and two, 
the fact that he was kind of onto the fact that Andreas and Victoria were having an uh, incestual relationship. But I, it, to me, it seems like because of the way he was, I don't think it was consensual on her part. Why not just kill the parents? Well, you have to remember, this happened twice. And the fact that, well, it was a different time. I don't know yeah, if it was Yeah, he wasn't. could just be like, no, I'm your father. You will do what I say. Ooh. And this is very true because Ooh. people kind of bow down to authority figures. Yeah. I mean, it could be a multitude of things because this, you know, Carl probably didn't have anywhere to go back to. This was his place to go back to. And then he sees it in such disarray with his ex-wife and, you know, his kids living in this squalor. And a kid that... Is definitely not his. Exactly. Yeah, maybe it pissed him off. Yeah, I mean, who knows? However, this is one of the more outlandish suspects and one of my favorite theories because how crazy would it be to go to war, get so messed up, which speaks volumes about the damages that war does on people's oh, yeah. psyche. Oh, yeah. Please help your local vets. Yeah, honestly. Uh, for me, that is just mind-blowing, if true. Because to this day, nobody knows who committed the, the murders. Well, they did a really shoddy investigation, too. E- exactly. Yeah. Um, there's also the whole um, Lawrence being a suspect. Yeah. Um, because there's so many inconsistencies within his alibi. There's so much going on in the background, guys. Like, if I told you all about it, we would be here for a couple of hours and we don't have that kind of time on our hands. I mean, the thing about it is, is that this is just kind of, these are just primer, like, storytelling. This is something you're interested in, go and Google it, check it out. Because the stories are definitely worth your attention and definitely worth the full read through if it's something that entices you. Lawrence was kind of a suspect, too, because of the whole rumor about him being the father of young Yosef. Yeah, maybe he didn't want he didn't want to be like, oh, so he just had a baby and left kind of thing. Well, it wasn't just that. It was also the fact that, you know, Andreas was probably still causing a lot of harm to someone that he felt attached to. And at one point was probably going to marry and wasn't allowed to because of the very same individual. And on the flip side, what if she was consensual with her father and he found out and it made him angry? Could be. You know, there's always a flip side that it could happen. It's not the first time. And here's where it gets kind of crazy as well. Pun intended. So apparently um, there was a mental patient who had escaped. This I don't know about. This is new. Crazier still... He was from Munich. Whoa! 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 So here's the thing. There's a lot of things that link up all three of these suspects. Uh Uh-huh. There's a total of six, but the other three are kind of shoddy at best. Okay. And if you think a man surviving some explosion in World War I coming back to kill his ex-wife and children isn't crazy enough, then the other ones... They'll blow you away then. No, no. They're just... Oh. You know. They're really weak. Yeah, they're really weak sauce. Okay, okay, gotcha. Apparently, this individual went missing and would travel the trains, kind of like... What are the transients? Yeah, transients. Yeah. And he had a lot of violent tendencies. A lot of people say that he could have been him, the one that just happened to find a home. Bro, but a Munich newspaper and a guy from... Whoa, that's so fucking scary. Yeah, so it's it's, kind of interesting. That's... I've never heard that part, though. 
Do you think it was him? Who, well, okay, finish your story, then I'll pick your well, brain. Well, I mean, you that, 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 that's where I'll leave it at. Um, just because I really do hope you guys do, you know, your own research and don't take me as like some sort of like yeah, we're too arbiter of all knowledge. I just find this stuff interesting. Yeah, but we're not. We're definitely not scholars. But like, who do you think? If I, if you had to pick someone from those three suspects, who do you feel in your heart did it? Well, see, this feels bad because at this point, it's like, who do I want it to be almost? Well, no, but no, no, no. It's more of, of given given the information you know, who do you think it makes more likely or more sense to have done it? Although these things are not sensical, my uh, dude. I mean, at this point, it's such a weird case that I, I can't say one way or the other. Although, however, Zombie Dad is a is a very fun theory to think about. Oh, the guy from from World War One. Yeah, Carl. I think I'm. I don't believe the Carl one as much as I think that it's a fascinating like theory or idea. I think it's definitely either the. Oh, okay. There's also what is what about this? What if the father, being as controlling as he is, kills everybody else, Carl or. Lawrence finds it, finds the dad, caves his head in, puts him in the barn with the rest of them. Well, here's another interesting fact. All their heads were smashed on the right side. Oh, like somebody was waiting in ambush. Oh, fuck. Never mind. I don't think, I don't, if you were pissed off, I don't think you would think that much about it to, to try to match up the, so it's definitely an outside person. Oh. That's terrifying. If you guys want like a really cool or not really cool, but a really scary recreation of that, watch Lore. I think it's like on Amazon Prime. Yeah. There's a good, there's an episode that covers this and it's terrifying. It's really scary. Good. That was a good, that was a good choice. You're starting off strong with this episode. Well, like I said, it's one of my favorite cases. Um, Every time I hear about it, I want to know more. Um, there's definitely more to it than what I've I've said, and I've probably got some of the names wrong, just because this is kind of by the seat of my pants, you know. Yeah, we're just going for it. Um, this is episode one, so you know. Yeah, we'll get. I'm sure it'll get better as time goes on. All right. Well, it's funny that you picked the Hinter Kaifek murders because it's very on theme with what I picked uh, today, and it's this is a fucking. Let me set the scene for you. It's Townsend, Massachusetts in 1986, okay? There is a family. There's a father, Brian Andrews, his daughter, Annie Andrews, and his younger daughter, Jessica Andrews. And their mother had just recently died to cancer. She had a long fight with cancer, lost it. So now you've got this situation where it's a father working his job. Leave, You know, in the 80s, latchkey kids were a huge thing. You come home from school, your parents aren't home, you lock the door you watch tv until they get home so he's having to do this this is new for them and i don't know the timeline between the mother's death and when the events happen i did some cursory research online even the wiki didn't have a lot of concrete dates it's just like bullet points of information so take my take my telling of this story as just kind of like a bullet by bullet list okay some point after this mother dies annie and her sister jessica start receiving phone calls from a boy named daniel and the boy said he got his number from a friend of theirs who went to the same school as the girl but daniel himself is a high school student from another school who is good looking blonde athletic and that he lives in the same area but like i said he goes to a different high school right so this goes on back and forth between uh between the girls and danny and annie is the one that ends up really liking this boy and talking to him the most 
So she agrees to go on a blind date with him to the local county fair. Or actually, it's just the local fair. I don't know if it was a county fair. Don't at me. So the night of the date comes, right? You're excited because you're just talking. You've been talking to this boy for weeks. And you go, you go downstairs. I don't even, and you go up to the door, right? You open the door. The complete opposite of everything that this kid described to you is there. I kind of figured that's where this was going. Yeah, so he's disheveled, dark hair, acne, skinny, nothing like he said. And she's a little disappointed by it. But get this, she still fucking goes on the date with him. All right, then. Right? Like, like, well, I mean, here's the thing. Not to say that, like, guy doesn't deserve a chance or whatever. That's not what I'm trying to get at. But here's the thing. If someone's willing to lie at you that brazenly and then show up and you see the fraud that he is. Yeah. You really going to take a chance? Exactly. And, and and not just that hope for honesty. Exactly. I mean, I know teenagers are weird, but like. Well, I mean, here's the yeah. thing. Like, because a lot of people are like, oh, well, it's hard because you're trying to get this person to like you. Right. But if you look like this, they might not be interested. It's like, well. Here's the thing. You didn't have to start off by saying, look, I look this way. You can just, hey, this is the kind of person that I am. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'll like the person that I am. And then the looks, you can probably kind of get over them. Yeah. I didn't even tell you. I didn't say the story of the title of the story because some of you are going to be like, I know exactly what the fuck you're talking about. So just just wait. okay? so they go on the date. They're in the county fair. And the whole time this kid is being really weird. He finds out that her mom has passed away and he starts asking her questions about it. Like he wants to know how she felt the moment she died and how much it had made her suffer. And the girl's like, this was already weird to begin with. I'm going home. So she she makes some excuses an hour later. She Smart piece, girl. She pieces out. She goes home. Yeah. Something something must have been bothering her the whole fucking I mean, time. not the fact that he lied. No. Well, yeah, there's that. But then I'm, I'm. it's one thing for a guy to lie. And then you go out on a date and you have a great time. And you're like, oh, well, this was worth it. But like you're on you're on a fucking Ferris wheel. Okay, put yourself in a Ferris wheel with this kid. And he's like, yeah. So how did you feel when your mom passed away from cancer? Did it hurt? Did it feel bad? Yes, <laughs> tell me the dark tales. Exactly. He's being weird about it. So anyway, she goes home. Nothing comes of it. Like a month passes and they don't hear. For, she stops taking his calls. She ignores him. And so the girls are home alone, as they often are at this point. And, you know, how many people didn't do seances or did, like, Ouija boards and stuff when they were kids because that was fun and mysterious and woo, you know? Look, I was too busy being a sheltered child. Like, <laughs> I was too busy reading my books and being an introvert and not dealing Look, with people. All I'm saying is, like, when I was a kid, we would do Bloody Mary. We would do... We would make our own Ouija boards. Like, it was crazy. Well, see, that crazy. sounds out of character, but it just sounds like something someone with friends would do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like when you have a bunch of friends. Well, it, in this case, it was just Annie and Jessica, the two sisters. Fair enough. But in their case, they, they're trying to contact their mom. So they go down to the basement. They use a pendulum or swinging crystal. And so they're trying to contact their mom in the basement. The father, Brian, comes home and he hears them chanting and he's like, all right, girls, that's enough. Come upstairs. He doesn't get mad at him. He's just like, that's enough. You know, let's come upstairs. Well, the funny thing about that is, is it probably wasn't mad that they were practicing some sort of crazy witchcraft. It was probably that they were using Sprint over AT&T. <laughs> wow. AT&T, broaden your horizon. Shut up. Get out of here. 
You're fired. Okay, so that that night, um, that same night, they go to bed, and while they're in bed, they start to hear knocking on their bedroom walls, and they think it's their mom. So they start to ask questions, and the spirit answers via knocks. So activity starts to get worse as time progresses. Like they would find items, they'd find stuff that was on a table, neatly arranged, would be on the floor later. They found. Uh, just stuff missing so you didn't find it they would just notice that it was missing furniture would be moved from one side of the wall to the other just all kinds of paranormal stuff was happening and the knocks had started pretty softly now it was just straight up banging and clanging all through the house so the girls are like this is definitely not our mom it's definitely a bad spirit like we messed up and their father doesn't believe any of this while this is all going on. Well, I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever watched any kind of paranormal shows, they but... They never <clears throat> believe the kids. Yeah, well, not just that. I was going to say the dads are usually the first ones to be like, no, it's not a fucking ghost. Oh, yeah, it's always some asshole dad, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Some of them at least have, you know, the wherewithal to be like, maybe there's someone fucking with us. Yeah. Does oh, this yeah. guy go that route, or does he just go like, no, fuck you, you guys are stupid? No, 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 so... You know, he what he suspects actually what he suspects is that his daughters are having a hard time dealing with their mom passing away and that they're doing this for attention. Fair enough. Even though the girls are constantly telling him, Dad, this is what's happening, it's the same thing, song and dance over again. If you can believe it, things start to escalate even more. At one point the girls are watching TV in the living room and the knocking starts, but instead of it being upstairs like it had been this entire time. It's in the basement. Annie, who is kind of a badass at this point, she goes to the kitchen, she grabs a knife, and her and her sister go down in the basement to see what's going on. Good girl. Yeah, she's brave. Well, I, no, you know what? She's not, stupid, not, but she's brave. I was about brave. to say, not a good girl, but at least she has a knife with yeah, her. Yeah, like, her, she's a little confused, but she's got <sighs> the spirit, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they go down in the basement. They don't find anything. They, they do, like, a cursory look. But as they turn around to go back up the stairs... It's like a movie, right? The, the camera pans, there's a wall, and there's a message that looks like it's written in blood, and it says, I'm in your room. Come and find me. Well, hold on. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. So the girls freak out. They run out of their house to the neighbors. They call their dad, and they tell him what happened. And of course, he comes home because Jesus Christ. I was about to say, he's not an asshole dad. Yeah. So he comes home. And I depends on which which website you read it on. Some say there were police officers called. So some don't mention it at all. I'm going to go with the idea that they called the police. Maybe the neighbors panicked and called the police. So he comes home. They find out that the blood is just ketchup. He gets pissed off at the girls and he's like, listen, this has got to stop. I'm sending you to counseling. You guys, this is a, this. I've had enough of this. You guys are clearly not dealing with your mother's death. I'm sending you to counseling. So they go to counseling, and it everything stops for about two weeks. So I would like to say something there, yeah. Because like I know this probably gives a bad impression about the father, but we also have to realize that he's grieving as well. And so probably the way he handled the situation could have been different if he himself was coping better as well. I don't think he was an asshole. I think I applaud him because in the 80s, mental health was not a thing that people even like acknowledged. Like I, I get that, but yeah. you know how sometimes perceptions can be skewed because you could be like, well, you know, knowing the truth, us as the observers are like, mm. what an asshole. Yeah. But at the same time, like you have to put yourself in the gentleman's shoes and be yeah. like, well... He's also grieving. But he doesn't but he have time to stop and grieve. Yeah, and he yeah. has to kind of be like, okay, I need to provide as well as be, you know, some sort of emotional Yeah, I'm all that's support. left for my kids now. 
Yeah. Yeah, he's not a bag of Skittles. No. He's a good dad. Yeah. Any 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 parent that would be like, look, you guys are clearly grieving. Let's get you some counseling. That's amazing. I applaud him for that. And shit. if any of you don't find Skittles like emotionally like recuperative, then, don't at me. Yeah, don't don't fucking. We at can't me. be friends. That's how we fucking deal. We just eat Skittles. Yeah, and cry. I just eat fistfuls of Skittles <laughs> and cry in my pajamas. Skittles and coffee and cry. This stops for a while, like two weeks or so. Again, contradictory websites. And again, it's another evening that Annie and Jessica are home alone again they're watching tv in the living room and it's almost the same situation only now the knocks are coming from a different place they're coming back from the well they're coming they go back up to the 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 bedrooms upstairs oh i was gonna say it came from the garage coming from within the house uh so again fucking badass annie goes into the kitchen gets a fucking knife and she's like i'm gonna end this here and now i want to know what's going on they go upstairs and as they're Climbing up the top of the stairs, she can. I guess she can see into her bedroom, and there is another message that says, "I'm back. Find me if you can." And she's like, "Nope." They turn around, they leave, they go back to the neighbors. Same shit. They call their dad again. He just he has to leave work early, so he's pissed. He comes home, and he's like, "Look, I'm going inside to prove that there's nobody here." He goes into the house and as he's going towards the house he noticed that the tvs and everything are super super loud the neighbors would later say that they had gone in before he did not in but they had gone to the house to look around to make sure everything was okay there were no tvs on so okay, okay now continue continue okay yeah because there's a little bit more all right so uh he goes into the house up the stairs he goes into the bedroom there's another message on the wall and it says, marry me. Okay, now say what you're going to say before I say the rest. Well, I was just going to say, like, what? So, in these girls' minds, it's a ghost, right? Right. What a fucking asshole ghost to raise a single father's bills, his electric bills, <laughs> you know? Like, he has it tough as it is already. He ordered know? a bunch of, like, pay-per-view. Yeah, being a single dad in the 80s and then, like... <laughs> being the sole like provider and all of a sudden you come back all the lights are on the tv's at full blast i'd be even mad that's a father's fuck. nightmare yeah like i'd be mad as fuck like, i know parents that won't even let us touch the thermostat and shit <sighs> my dad yeah <laughs> so okay he sees the, the the new message that says marry me and on the other side of the room there's a young boy wearing the wedding dress of his dead wife and a blonde wig He's got his he's got his face done up in either makeup or face paint and he's holding a hatchet. You know, I don't know about many of you out there, but just just so you guys know who Gwen is. Yeah, I am bisexual, so by no means do I. Oh, you're talking about the cross-dressing thing. Yeah, so if a man were interested in me, I would kind of hope that's not how he would propose to me. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> you go on a romantic date, and at the end of the date, he's like, I know this is sudden. And he goes into a fortified, and he comes out like that. And he's like, but will you marry me? No, that's not a deal breaker for me. <laughs> I'm not going to say it is. But at the same time, that's not how I envisioned it. It's not very romantic, is it? Okay. It's the kid from the blind date. Kind of thing. And his name is Daniel LaPlante. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so now <laughs> she choked on her coffee when I said Daniel LaPlante. <laughs> that's what you get for drinking coffee in the middle of this. I'm not going to say anything because I'm pretty sure that's somebody else's last name. All right. Yeah. Don't offend people. All right. So 
Now there are there's again this is two there are two contradictory stories to this because there's also a version of it where he chased Brian and the girls into the bedroom with a hatchet and Brian and the girls escaped through a window and they didn't come back to the house until he was found. So I don't know which version is real. It could have just been the press being the press. I kind of like the idea, especially because the father's safe, that he walked in and there's just a kid standing there, like Michael Myers style. There was a little bit of a scuffle. He leaves and and the kid disappears. And they call the police. The police come to the house. They find him in a crawl space. There's a crawl space that is part of uh, an area that is behind Annie's bedroom. And when they investigate the crawl space further, they find that he had been tunneling through the house and living in their fucking walls. So how skinny was this kid? Because like, a skinny, God dang, skinny like... kid. He had been living in the home. There had been evidence of a sleeping bag, food wrappers, beer cans were some of the things that they found. Well, I'm just saying, I could use some dieting tips. No shit. And then, get this fucking shit. Wait, there, he had beer? Yeah, he was a teenager. I can't have beer because I'm... No, you know what? Anyway, so he get this part though. He had been make he'd made peepholes in every room so that he could follow Annie throughout the house as she went about her 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 business. He'd been there for like a month. Interesting. So they arrest him. Uh, he's placed into a juvenile facility until this again. The, the dates are we are weird, but I'm gonna say October 9th of eighty seven. He's released because his mom raises money and pays a 10K bail. $10,000 in 1987. That's a lot of fucking money. I mean, yeah. So he's released and he's due back to court on that 11th of December. So after he's bailed out, he goes back to his shit. Now, the thing that I didn't talk about Danny LaPlante at all because I wanted to get to the haunting part. That's the part that interested me the most. The girls thinking that their house is haunted. But Danny LaPlante is a career robber. He breaks into people's houses. He moves their stuff around. He takes their things. He's never really hurt anyone up until this point. So he's been making a career of just breaking into houses. Uh, and, and at this point, he'd never really returned to a house that he broke into. He would just break into random houses. Now, there's speculation that he had broken into the Andrews family house before and got information about the girls and then started the calls after that. Maybe he wasn't obsessed with Annie in particular. Maybe it was just she was the only one who responded to him, so he stuck with her. Fair enough. <clears throat> so I mean, it's not like he was a total fucking creep or anything. He, exactly. It wasn't like he was being weird the, the entire time. Can't figure why that would happen. Why didn't she like me? So he goes back to his robbing homes and October 14th, uh, he robs two 22 caliber guns with holsters from a nearby home. And <sighs> three weeks later, Daniel's stepfather finds one of the guns in his laundry basket. He questions him about it. Daniel lies about where he got the gun, but he didn't tell him he had another one. And then on November 16th, he broke into the home of Andrew and Priscilla Gustafson and stole items from them. Then, like I said, no one ever knew if he'd ever returned to a home before. But on December 1st of 87, he comes back to the Gustafson home. And on that day, Andrew had called his wife around 345 because they were going to go celebrate. And he was looking to see if she had found a babysitter for their two children. They have the oldest, Abigail, who is seven, and William, who is five, so that they can celebrate, like I said. And he doesn't receive an answer, so he tries two more times. But then he didn't bother to leave until he didn't come home until 5 p.m. So when he comes home, 
He notices the house is quiet, which is unusual for a household with two kids under 10. And also his wife is, I think I said she was pregnant, right? Yeah, and she's pregnant. He comes home. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Just to infuse a little humor into this. Yeah. She's pregnant. Yeah. Two kids under 10. I'm just saying, if I was pregnant, I wouldn't want to deal with those little shits. Here, have some Benadryl. Go to sleep. (laughs) Don't worry. Take a nap. I'm just saying. I'm going to smoke a... In the 80s, you're still smoking cigarettes when you're pregnant. I'm still going to smoke a cigarette in the kitchen and watch my shows. Well, I mean, I would have just had a wine glass and just taken a nap. There you go. He goes into the back bedroom and finds Priscilla face down, covered in blood, and dead. She had two shots in the head. Of course, he didn't count them but i'm telling you the details she'd been raped and that's not normal for someone to go like how many times are they yeah let me touch let me put my fingerprints all over everything she'd been raped shot multiple times and they were point blank shots there's gonna be some because at the time it was a sensationalized thing and they talk about the father and you know in cases when a whole family is annihilated they always look at the father and so they question him um, you know, why didn't you look in the rest of the house? Because he, after this point, he leaves and calls the police. He doesn't go back into the house. Can I just comment on your choice of words? The family was annihilated. Yeah, they were annihilated. They were completely fucking massacred. So he didn't look in the rest of the house. But it is found out later that both of the children had been found in different bathrooms. William was found in the upstairs bathroom and Abigail was found in the downstairs bathroom. They were initially said to have been drowned, but then later on there would be evidence to support that they were strangled and left in the bathtub. So everybody's dead. So it was one of those situations where they weren't dying fast enough, and he just yeah, he just he just strangled. Yeah, or or not. It just well, they only (sighs) found evidence that Abigail had been strangled, but I'm assuming you know because the other one was smaller, and not only that, not that I know from personal experience, but like having listened to a lot of true crime and stuff. And there have been a lot of murders that are like, strangling is harder than you would expect it to be. You know, and it's like, I don't expect it to be anything because I don't go around strangling people. So here's the thing. She listens to so much murder mystery that if I go missing, call the police. She <laughs> she found a way wow. to hide the body in such a way that she will not be found out. Wow. And she was never seen again. As an Get help. Episode. Okay. So there's a manhunt that goes on for 48 hours and in a few towns over from towns and it didn't, I couldn't find what town it was. I'm sure it's there, and I just didn't see it. But LaPlante uh, ha- kidnaps a woman in her car. She escapes, though. And then he, a couple of days later, he was discovered hiding in a dumpster. And then on October 25th of 1988, he's un- in court, and after five hours of deliberation, deliberations that lasted over three days... And I'm sorry. My brain my brain isn't working. It lasted over days. The jury returned a verdict on a guilty on guilty on three counts of first degree murder. He was tried as an as an adult and then he got three life sentences. They had already abolished the death penalty in 84, so that's why they didn't go for the death penalty. They gave him three consecutive life sentences. Here's just a little bit of information about the way that that he was um like how the court proceedings went or the information that was found out during the case. The investigation continued up trial up until the trial commenced in in October of 88. Daniel got the 22 caliber bullets from a friend of his who had also given bullets to another friend. So let me get this straight. Yeah. This weirdo gets ammunition from another weirdo. Yeah. Is there just like a string of weirdos that are doing this kind of crazy shit? I mean, I don't know. It's like maybe maybe they were all robbing houses and he's like, yeah, I got 22 bullets. Like he's just people just keep weird shit. I mean, think about 
Think about all the weird kids you knew in school that had it didn't see didn't matter I what was it was. The weird kid no, in school. No, no. There's this there think about the kids that always had whatever you needed and you never understood where they got it from. Like there's always that one fucking kid that's like, hey, you, you yeah, you need that I can get that for you. And it's like how how? Why? Then eighties and nineties were a terrifying time. And so as Mrs. Gustafson or Priscilla had been raped, they had collected DNA. But remember, this is in eighty in the eighties. There wasn't like you could compare it against I mean you could compare it against um DNA from other people but the only at the time the only way that you, that you could differentiate DNA is that whether or not somebody was a secretor which meant yeah I know <laughs> the look on your face that what it means is hello that I am a secretor is that <laughs> the type of blood that you have is secreted through your fluids so you can tell the type of blood type of a person through their fluids, not necessarily through anything else. But some people don't secrete. And yes, the fluids are things like semen, saliva, and even sometimes urine. It depends. Well, the semen that they found on the scene was determined to come from a type A secretor. And guess who was a type A secretor? Daniel. But not the... And I think Daniel did it. And there's a lot of evidence to support that he did do it. But also type A's are like the one of the most common blood type, like... There's a lot of people with type A. So it could have... That wasn't a very strong thing that held him to it. It was more so the 22 caliber bullets that matched his gun. Um, and then they also found a hair from Abigail and fibers from the home. And that was used as evidence. They found it on him. So Andrew Gustafson, the father, uh, was of course safe. He Nothing happened to him because he came home and found his family. He passed on in 2014... And on his deathbed, he was he said to them, don't ever let him out. He should rot in prison. Which, unfortunately, he didn't get to see this part. But the last appeal for Danny LaPlante was in 2017. And he was quoted as saying, I do not have the words to fully express my profound sorrow because fuck you, oh, I'm suffering. Uh, but I am truly sorry for the harm I have caused, for the very essence of who I am, from the depth of my soul, I am sorry. And this was said on um, an appeal court. They denied him. Good. He has, and that was his last appeal, and he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison. And that is the story of the Andrews hauntings and subsequent murder of the Gustafson family. So my question here is: Is he doing some sort of like a Shawshank Redemption, where he's like living in the walls and stuff like that oh, in there too? I don't know. S- spying on, uh, you know, Polly. I don't know. Like he, from what I understand, from what I got from the. <clears throat> From the the research that I did, he was always a really intense kid. Oh, I didn't even get to the best part of it. Oh, I didn't even write it down. So, okay, a little more information on on Andrew Laplant. I mean, I'm sorry, Danny Laplant. He so he had been having problems his life up until this point. His parents, being the good parents that they are, which is amazing, two sets of parents that were willing to get their kids therapy. They send him to care therapy. The therapist sexually assaults him. Oh, good. Yeah. The very person that you're depending on help for is the one that... Yeah. How did I forget that part? I'm so sorry, guys. Well, here's the crazy thing. I've been a strong advocate for mental health. As you should be. But if anything like this happens, report it. Yeah. Well, well, but the thing about in the 80s, especially, was in the 70s, 80s, and even up until the parts of the 90s, there was this whole, like, you don't question the adults. Ever. And that's something that needs to end. Well, yeah, that's that's kind of like we're having kind of 
I mean, look at all the millennials and stuff now that are like, no, no, you're not going to tell me what I can and can't do because I'm tired. Of, like, this has not been working. Like, there's respect yes. for your elders, which, despite what most people will think, needs to be earned by the elders as well. Exactly. Because there are parents who are pieces of shit. And just because you had the misfortune of being their child doesn't mean you have to put up with it. Yeah, them. you're not beholden to them for anything. Fuck that. But then there's also this, this, in the same vein, even though that's true, there are some cases where kids have nowhere else to go. It's either homelessness or... But it doesn't have to be that way, though. No, I know it doesn't. Because if you report it to the police, they'll find a place for you to sleep. You know, you'll find help. That's another part, that's another part of being in that era of, of living, though, is that you would report to the police. The police would go to your parents because, as a kid, your your word means nothing against your parents to the police. But, I mean, bear in mind, the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s were a time that if any kid disappeared... They were runaways. They weren't kidnapped. So, yeah, that's that's like the main thing is that you didn't question your parents. The police didn't take your word for it. Kids were almost like dispensable at that time where they were just like, yeah, just go out and play and come home before it gets dark. And a lot of kids never made it home. Which is funny because my mom and dad were the complete opposite of that. Yeah. They were the overbearingly protective parents. See. So my parents weren't. See, my parents were like they're free, easy going like I'm not going to interfere in your life. If you need help, I'll be there, but you you make your own decisions and see what happens. Kind of thing. And it's a miracle. I hope my mom never listens to this because it's a miracle I'm not dead because I did some really stupid fucked up shit as a teenager that I should have probably been kidnapped and killed for. I mean, I think we've all been in that boat, though. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, there were times where I would go visit friends and we would go walking from their house to other places. And like when I, where I grew up and all my friends grew up, even when I went out of town to go visit them, they still lived in rural areas. Like, we all grew up in rural, open areas that, I mean, my parents didn't lock their doors at night. You know, like, a lot of people didn't lock their doors at night. And we would we would go walking to the movies. We would go walking, like, through, like, just terrible, terrible wooded areas to get to places. And it's like, how are we not dead? <laughs> like, how are we still alive? It, it, it was a scary time then. Didn't feel like it, but it definitely was. Yeah, I didn't feel like it. I it was it was kind of like don't look at the man behind the curtain type thing. Yeah, if you ever need help, you can always ask an adult. It's always an adult. Go to the adults, and the adults were the ones preying on us. With that bummer out of the way, <laughs> yeah, I had been waiting all weekend to tell Gwen that story because I I heard about it and I was like, I've never heard this story before, and it's wild. It's such a wild story. There's more to Danny LaPlante. He had a lot of other stuff happen to him that I did not, for some reason, put in my report. So, if you guys are interested about the case, look it up. There's a really good blog that covers it. Maybe I should put links in, in the description so you guys can follow up on it. But I hope you like this first episode. What do you think, Gwenny? I mean, it's definitely rough. Um, we'll definitely be doing more research as we kind of go on. It's just... Yeah, it'll get better. We felt if we didn't get an episode out um, we'd never do it. Yeah, we'd never do it. Because this is a brainchild that we've had for a while. And if we didn't do it now, it was never going to happen. Yeah, we had to get over our embarrassment of being recorded. But I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys will keep up with us and be back. Those are the things that make us fear the dark. Spoopy. Ooh, goodbye, everybody. 
Intro and outro music provided by Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com. The track is Dark Walk, and you can find the link in the description below.